This morning we're going to be talking about giving thanks no matter what. If you want to make your way to Isaiah chapter 12, and as you go there, I want to give you an opportunity this morning as we have uh, completed our training in evangelism as a church. Uh, we are not only encouraged, but we've been commanded to share the goodness of God as we go throughout the week. Um, whether that be sharing your story with someone or the um, praying for a server or praying at your table when you're out at a restaurant or uh, handing out a tract to someone who, who wants one, uh, we want to give you an opportunity. We want to celebrate those times together. Um, whether it was a good outcome or a bad outcome, we want to celebrate your obedience to the Lord. I had an opportunity twice this week uh, to pray for our servers. And one was just for uh, a son and the other was for family in general. Nothing really major, but they were appreciative of that uh, prayer. I also had a gospel conversation in a gas station. I'm trying to think outside the box now. It's really easy to be inside the box, but anytime I encounter someone that's serving me in some way, it's always an opportunity. And so I'm trying to be uh, faithful in doing that. So I want to give you a, a, just a raise of a hand. I'll come to you with a microphone, um, but just an opportunity for a minute. What what did you do? What was your success this week? Or what was your experience this week? And let's just praise the Lord together. Is there anyone who shared this week or prayed this week, shared a track this week that you'd be willing to share with us this morning? Yes, Daryl. Let me see if I can get you on the microphone here. I might have to go this way, Caleb. You're loud, but people back at home sitting in their living room can't hear you. <laughs> Just get in the vicinity, you're good. I had to cook one day, so you know I went to a fast food restaurant. <laughs> and in the drive-thru, it was going so fast, I didn't think anything about it. And I got up there, and the girl, I asked her if she was having a good day, and she said, I guess so. And I... And there's a lot of cars behind me, but I said, could I pray for you? And uh, she looked at me kind of funny, and she said, well, yes. <laughs> and I said, well, what can I pray for you for? And she said, she just looked kind of weird and looked around, and I said, I know you have something you need prayer for. And she turned away from me and looked back, and she said, uh, my kids and I said and you mm -hmm. and she said yes and I saw immediately in her face a change huh. in her just the way she was looking at me I said are you and your kids saved and she looked at me and said yes oh, I said well good but I'll be praying for you and your kids and all your situations. Awesome. And she said, well, thank you very much. But her outward expression showed me a whole lot more than just mm -hmm. inward. Yeah. And that all there was, but I knew that there was a seed planted. There. Yes. 
Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Amen. Hey, sometimes you get the answer, no. <laughs> no, you can't pray for me. Well, I'll do it anyway. Uh, I mean, <laughs> what are they going to do? <laughs> They're going to chase you down, go to your prayer closet and say, stop. Um, let, me, let me just remind you of, of, of how you can phrase this so um, you don't catch people too off guard because they will be caught off guard to some degree because that's not normal to have that encounter. But if you are speaking with someone, uh, is there something I can pray about for you? And then immediately give a couple of options. I usually throw in health or family. Because if you just say, is there anything I can pray about for you? They're like, uh, mm. You know, and they'll try to think of something. But if you say health or family, we almost always can answer that one. So you, you help them out. But once they get that thought flowing, uh, then they can share more deeply what's going on in their lives. And, and that's just an easy way to be a witness uh, for Christ. And, um, and now that they know you're a prayer, then uh, make it a habit. Uh, one of the other things that we mentioned in our training is if you frequent a restaurant, like a, a restaurant like every week or, or something like that is very consistent and you've prayed for a server, take a note, the server's name, what you prayed for about them. And then the next time you go into the restaurant, ask for their area or seek them out and say, hey, Margaret, uh, last week you asked me to pray for your husband that he was going into surgery. I just wanted you to know, I was praying, how are things going? I'll tell you what, that'll mean a whole lot more to them than you would ever know. So we're, we need to be intentional, every one of us. And if we are all intentional in this place, as we leave this place, God will be spoke highly of in our community wherever we go because we want to make him known and the goodness of God. As we look at today's scripture, uh, this will remind us why we need to be thankful and why we should be thankful no matter what. See, last week we talked about being thankful because of who God is. Today we give thanks for what he has done. So Isaiah 12, 1 through 6, let me lead us in prayer and then we'll read our scripture together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you are a good God. You are a good father. You care for us and you love us more than we would ever know. And we're thankful that we can be in your presence today by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word and as we read your word, Lord, that you would use your spirit to speak to us directly. Lord, that we might know of your love for us, that we might know the adjustments that we need to make in our lives. Lord, that we would be encouraged through your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this is Isaiah 12. I say verses 1 through 6, but it's the entire chapter. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy 
You will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Now, part of this song that is listed by Isaiah was sung in Isaiah or in in, uh, Exodus chapter 15, right after the Israelites were delivered through the Red Sea. Part of that song was lifted then. Go to Psalm 118 at the rededication of the temple. Part of that song was sung right there again. And talking about the deliverance of God and how he has acted. But through these words, Isaiah is telling God's people they will sing this song as they experience the Lord's coming salvation. Now, the thing about this, this is more than God delivering them out of a difficult time. As we go back to the Red Sea, we know that the Egyptian army was coming upon the Israelites and they were coming with force. They were coming to take them out. God spread the sea. All the Israelites went to the other side. When the Egyptians army got inside the sea, the sea was closed up and they were wiped out. On the other side, they're singing joy to the Lord because they have been delivered from the hands of the Egyptians. But this is going to be more than delivering us out of a difficult situation. This time, it will be more than that. It will be salvation. The salvation here, particularly, if you look back in Isaiah chapter 11, it's coming through the shoot from the stump of Jesse. And you know, that is a prophetic term that in the line of Jesse, through the, the, through David, we come to Jesus Christ. So this is a prophetic word from, from Isaiah to God's people. Now notice what Isaiah said. He said, you will say, so he's telling the people, when you experience the salvation of God, you will say. And then in my Bible, we put in the quotation marks. That's what we do. And so we know what's being referred to here. So here's what the people will say when they experience salvation of God. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. I read that. I know I know that we're not supposed to be angry. We're not supposed to lose control. But is it right for God to be angry? We saw Jesus angry in the New Testament when he saw the the money changers out there in the temple taking up the space where the Gentiles would have been worshiping. He got angry. He flipped the tables. He was angry. And we say, well, that's a righteous anger. And a righteous anger is okay. And then we try to make sense of our anger. We say, well, that was a righteous anger. And I say, no, it's not because you're not righteous. He is, you're not. So what do we do with anger? Uh, we, we deal with it. We confess it. We repent of it. And, uh, and then we allow God to be seen through us. Is it right for God to be angry? Romans 5.10 declares we are all enemies of God. Every one of us, all of humanity are enemies of God. But listen to Romans 8, 5 through 8. 
For those who live according to the flesh, that's speaking of the world, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you and I are living in the flesh with our mindset on the flesh, Scripture says we are hostile to God and we cannot please him. Well, we know that God is perfectly love. He's perfectly light, but he's also perfectly just. And in his perfect judgment, by rejecting his salvation here, he allows us to keep that choice in eternity and be separated from him. That's his perfect justice. But there's good news here in Isaiah 12. It says God's anger will be turned away and his comfort extended to those who live according to the spirit. For those whose minds are set on the spirit, for those who please God through Jesus. Verse 2, it describes an outburst of thanksgiving, declaring the reason and the hope for our praise. It says, God is my salvation. That word salvation is a deliverance. It's to rescue. And so you could say it this way. I have been rescued, and because I have been rescued, I will praise the Lord. Now, I've heard salvation described this way years past. If you, if you would have this picture in your mind, being out in the middle of the ocean, you've had a shipwreck or whatever, you're out there in the middle by yourself, and you're trying to stay afloat. You're treading water. Well, we're not going to get into all the other larger items in in the, the ocean that might affect your outcome here. But you're trying to stay alive. But you're weary. No food, no water. And there's going to be a point that you stop treading water and drown. And the way I've heard salvation described is you are treading and you are at your last moment of your last breath and God throws the life ring of Jesus to you and you have a choice to grab hold of the ring and be saved or reject the ring and drown. Now, as I consider that example, I think we really think a whole lot of ourselves in that example, in that illustration. Because here, here's the reality of where you and I are. We're not treading water. We're not out there getting ready to take our last breath. According to Scripture, we have already drowned in the sea of sin. We are dead already. There's no hope for us. I don't know what we're thinking. Think, well, I could just stay afloat here. You cannot. We're already dead. But Jesus calls us out of the darkness of death and into life. That's what he does. That's salvation. I'm rescued from myself. I have drowned myself in my sin, yet Jesus pulls me out of the muck and the mire, and he has saved me. The next phrase I will 
trust and not be afraid. To trust is to rely entirely on the Lord. I know that's difficult. It's easy to say. And we ought to put it on t-shirts and embroider it on, on pillows. That's great to know. It's great to say. But when you and I are overwhelmed... When, when you and I are, are facing something we do not understand, when we have more questions than answers, what do we do at that point? And scripture says to trust God, trust him in his wisdom, trust him in his power, trust him in his love for you. And we know in Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We worry and we're afraid when we're not trusting God. Do we worry? Yes. Are we stressed? Yeah. Do we use different words so we don't feel so badly? Absolutely. I'm a little pressured. But when we are fearful and worried, it's only because we've decided not to trust God in that situation. And what would we do? Well, if we just reflect back a few weeks ago, when we realize what we're doing, when we realize we're really not trusting God in this, he calls us. And he calls us to confess. He calls us to repent. If you remember back a few weeks, we empty ourselves so that we might be filled with the Spirit, that He would be in control. You know what? When He's in control, we have the ability to trust God. So we must be mindful of this. The Lord God is my strength and my song. Now we recognize God's strength is the ability to accomplish a task, specifically that which God has called us to do. If we look at, at all that God has commanded us to do to be transformed into the image of God, you and I can't do that on our own. He's, he wants us to be a witness for him. We can't do that on our own. All that he says to do, we cannot do that on our own. It requires God's strength in order to do that. And he's gracious and generous to give us that so that we can obey But more than that, as you look at that word, that strength, it is also a place of refuge. And it causes us to sing with joy, knowing that we're protected, knowing that nothing can get to us because we're protected under the hand of God. And nothing passes through his hand without his knowledge. So why do we express our joy in worship? We do so because God is our salvation. Verse 3, Isaiah said, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Well, God is the eternal fountain of all that is good. And Jesus said, If you drink from my well, you will never be thirsty. God is so good that he invites you to be quenched in him. Come to me. Be satisfied in me. Experiencing God's well of salvation will bring about a joyful response that you cannot contain. Verses 4 through 6, Isaiah says this, and this is the response, the joyful response. 
you will give thanks. You will call upon his name. You will make known his deeds. You will proclaim his name. You will sing praises. You will shout. You will sing for joy. I find it interesting that our response to God's goodness is not a private response. Often we think about our relationship with Jesus Christ as a a very private matter. But in the Bible, it's not private. It's personal, but it is public. And all the things that he has said here that we will do falls upon the people around us, whether they're saved or lost. When we're responding to the goodness of God, it's a public response. As we learned last week, giving thanks is an outward expression It's a public confession. Now, we don't give thanks so that other people will hear. We don't stand with a megaphone to give thanks to the Lord and say, well, I just want people to know that I'm thankful. But when we give thanks to the Lord, people should hear that we're thankful. It's a natural response. Isaiah said they would also beckon others to call upon the name of the Lord for salvation, to make known his deeds. Today, this is accomplished by by making much of God. And that's what we're talking about. That's what we celebrate, to make much of God. When we leave this place, what are we doing with the knowledge and the relationship of Jesus Christ? Wherever you go, whether it's at school or at work or shopping, whether it's going visiting, whatever it is, what are you doing with the knowledge and relationship of Jesus Christ? We tell others what he has done. And we invite them to be engaged in the same kind of relationship. When we shared our stories on, uh, our, during our harvest festival, we got to share 96 times with uh, others the goodness of God. And here is how I ended every story. Every time I shared, it was the same story again and again and again and again. Which, by the way, after three or four times, you, you're not so nervous. Let me just say that. When you, the more you share, the easier it becomes to share the goodness of God. But every time at the end, I would look at each person standing before me and I would ask this question, do you know Jesus the same way I do? That was the important, not the, the important part is yes, I shared the gospel. The second part is an invitation. The other way that you can do that when you share what God is doing in your life, you can ask them, Or you can tell them this, what God has done for me, he can do for you. Would you like to know him in the same way I do? Giving you an opportunity and them an opportunity to engage in a response to God. And then we get to lead them to Christ. Isn't that what we're supposed to be about? It seems like over the last two decades, it's been, we're we're not so much senders as we are gatherers. We want to send everyone out to gather people to come back here. And then hopefully they'll hear the gospel and respond. They need to hear the gospel out there. And then we bring them in to be discipled. That's the picture of what this church is to be about. And that's what we need to be about. Don't don't think so much of yourself that you can't share the gospel with someone. Don't be so nervous that you can't do it. We have all the tools that we need. And we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. What did God do? I mean, if we're, giving, if we're sharing the goodness of God, what did he do? He did the impossible. What, what's the impossible? 
I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was wicked, but now I'm covered in the righteousness of God. I was an enemy of God, but now I'm an adopted child of God. That's the impossible, and he did that. But how did he do it? That's what's most important here, isn't it? I'm going to read um, Isaiah 53. You can turn there if you want. It's just a few pages over. But again, this is Isaiah prophetically speaking of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for this generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked. And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death. And was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many. And makes intercession for the transgressors. It's easy to say the goodness of God and what he accomplished. But when we talk about how he accomplished it. What he himself willingly endured. That we might have peace with God. That we might be free of our transgressions against God. That we might be forgiven for our sins against God. It cost him everything. He suffered. He was rejected. And he died for you. What an expression of love. Going on with our verses, Isaiah said that they will remind. These are the people who are saved. They will remind people publicly that the Lord's name 
is above all other names. I would ask you today, do the people around you know the name of Jesus because you've spoken the name of Jesus? Have you shared with them the goodness of God that they would know him? They will sing praises to the Lord. That is not a statement of giftedness. That's not saying they will sing praises to the Lord, they who can sing. This is the the statement of ability. If you have a voice, you can sing and praise God. If you have a voice, it doesn't matter if it's strong or if it's weak, if it's in tune or out, you should sing praises to the Lord. Why? Is it to please the people around you? Is it so that they can look and say, oh, you sing so wonderfully. Is that why we sing? No, scripture says we sing because it pleases him. That's why we sing. That's why I sit on the front row so people don't have to listen to me. I can sing as loud as I want. I don't think, I don't think uh, you can hear me up here because you have a monitor in your face. But I can sing as loud as I want there and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to you. I want to sing praises to God. He's worthy of my praise because he saved me from death to life. He's worthy of my praise. Why will we sing? Scripture says because God has done gloriously and we must make it known in all the earth. All the responses that are listed in verses 4 through 6 are listed and uh, written in a positive command. In, in this positive command, it's not like God is saying, you're going to sing joyfully or else. He's not saying it that way. He's not saying, I would really love that if you would just sing to me. He's not saying that. Here's what he is saying. When you genuinely experience my salvation from the eternal well, you cannot help but sing praises to me for what I have done. That's what God says. And I want to ask you today, do you know him that way? Do you recognize the glory that has happened from the power of God, the love of God that's been sent to you? Do you recognize the salvation? You truly did not have a chance. But if you have been raised to life through Jesus Christ, he is worthy of your praise. I pray that you do. While working in the insurance industry, I did commercial insurance for 10 years. And each month I'd have to go over to Kennesaw, Georgia for a business meeting. So I would set up a reservation and I would get over there in the evening. I would get into my hotel and the next day I'd be prepared for the, the, the meeting. This one particular time I made my trip. I li- uh, arrived late at night at uh, the Spring Hill Suites in Kennesaw, Georgia. And I went in, I confirmed my appointment. They took my credit card just to make sure all was still good. They gave me my room number and, and a card key, key card. And I walked through uh, the, the facility. I found my room. I'm carrying my, my laptop, my garment bag, and a small suitcase. And you know how cumbersome that can be. I get to my door. I double-check the number on the door because you don't, <laughs> you, you, you don't want to stick your key in and it goes bzz, bzz, like that. And then you don't go in because that's, in a sense, like you're knocking on the door. And then you're standing there and it's very awkward. 
So I check the number on the door before I take my card. I look at my card, little folder, and it says that number. I make sure I'm in the right place. I stick my card into the door, and you hear that familiar unlocking sound, like that, and it and it opens up. So as it opens up, you know how those doors push you forward and you're trying to fight the door to get into the room and you're carrying the garment bag, the laptop, and your suitcase, you're trying to bust into the door. So I, I kind of fell into that little living area that you have in, in those suites. Now, something was different this time because when I stumbled into the room with my luggage and as I looked up, I saw a couple sitting on the, li- the, the sofa in terror. I looked up awkwardly in fear. And then two kids ran from the bedroom area, curious. And we all just kind of looked back and forth and back and forth. We didn't know what to do. And I just said, I am so sorry. And I just started back in, back out of the room. Went down to the desk and expressed my concern that they would send me to a room that was occupied. So they gave me another room. But the point is this. I was in a place I should not have been. As we get to this last verse, verse 6, Isaiah said they would proclaim this to one another. So these are all those who have been saved. They're encouraging each other. Shout and sing for joy, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. You and I, as rebellious and sinful as we are, have found ourselves in God's presence. Now that can be overwhelming as we recognize the holiness of God. If you remember Isaiah in chapter 6, when he found himself in the throne room of God, he looked at God in all his majesty and he says... Woe is me. I am a sinful man among sinful people. When we come into the presence of God, we should be overwhelmed by his holiness as well. And in our hearts, we know I'm not supposed to be here. I really have no leg to stand on in the presence of God. But by faith, we stand in the confidence of Christ having removed our sin. And if that weren't enough, he covered us in his righteousness. So that when God looks at you and me as his children in Christ, he sees his son. He sees the perfect obedience of Jesus when he looks at you. He doesn't look and say, hey, you've had a good day. You're my child today. And tomorrow you had a bad day. Well, you're not mine. It doesn't work that way. You're covered in the righteousness of Christ. Not only are we present in, with God, but we're also welcome. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Not only are we welcomed, but we've been given a place that Jesus himself prepared for us. We are also adopted children of God who possess an eternal co-heir status with Jesus Christ. Wow. Talking about being in a place where you know you don't belong. 
But by the grace of God, here you are in the presence of God with all his majesty, all his holiness, all his love for you. How do you respond to that? Not privately. You burst out. You're thankful. It doesn't matter what you're going through today. He's still God. He still did that for you. He gave up everything that you might be with him. So why should we give thanks no matter what? As you look through your life today, as you look through the the recent past, why should you give thanks no matter what? God is our salvation. We can fully rely on him. He is our refuge and he is our song of joy. He is worthy. Do you need anything else? This morning, we're going to have a time of invitation. If you know God's salvation through Jesus Christ already, here are some ways you can respond this morning. Scotty's going to lead us, Scotty, and uh, they're going to come up, and, and we're going to have an opportunity to sing. Sing for joy for what God has done on your behalf. Sing to him. It's a time that we confess our sins before him. If, if, if God has laid a conviction upon your heart through the Holy Spirit, maybe it's for not singing. That's good to go ahead and, and confess that before God and tell him that he's worthy and repent of that activity. Maybe God's laying something else on your heart that you have not dealt with. But to empty yourself so that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit, to walk out of here in his power. Perhaps your commitment this morning as a a follower of Jesus Christ is, this week, I'm telling somebody about Jesus. I want to make much of him in my life. And maybe that just needs to be your commitment. If you're unsure, or, or if you know that you have not encountered the relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You're not sure if you have salvation. You have got so many questions. I just want to invite you to come, to surrender your life to him. Allow him to be the certainty. Allow him to be the assurance. Not anything that you've done, not anything someone told you to do, not anything someone said to repeat after me for, but respond to him and let him come to you and overwhelm you with his glory forgiving you of your sins that you would know maybe this morning it's time that you become an active member here you might have been a member for years and you've not plugged in yet today's the day I invite you to come Scotty and Mike will you all come and lead us this morning I'm going to lead us in prayer altar will be open. I'll be right here in the front. Listen, if you're not sure about salvation, it's okay to to not be sure, but it's not okay to leave here not being sure. The invitation is come. Let's make sure. Let me pray with you. Let me talk with you. I'm right here. All that you have to say is I need Jesus or I need to make sure about Jesus and just respond to him.
Let me pray and then we'll respond. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your son, Jesus, who has given everything for me. Lord, I pray that each one of us here today would respond as you're leading us right now. You would help us to let go of the pew and move about freely as you've laid it on our hearts. Lord, may you be glorified in these next few moments as your people respond to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.